You've not truly lived until you negotiate masks, earpieces, and earrings. It's just, and glasses. It's really hard to coordinate all of that together. It's still Christmas, y'all. You can take away most or all of the decorations. You can shout Happy New Year as the ball drops in Times Square. You can eat all of the greens and peas you want, but none of that will change the fact that it is still Christmas. Don't let it go too soon. As I mentioned earlier, in the liturgical year, it is Christmas until Epiphany, which is this coming Wednesday. Epiphany is that moment when the Magi follow the star to Jesus, who's not the babe in that same manger where there was no room in the inn. This is some time later they follow the star, and the appearing, the aha, the epiphany, is what is celebrated this coming Wednesday. And a lot of people will be preaching on that today, the idea of following a star and an appearing and an aha and a revelation. But that's not where I'm headed today because it's still Christmas. I read from the Christmas story that is most familiar to all of us from Luke's Gospel on Christmas Eve. That's the story that's full of all the characters and famous lines. A babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Shepherds keeping watch in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And there was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to all people. And Mary was left to ponder it all in her heart. That was Luke's telling. Matthew tells the story differently. He gives a long genealogy starting with Abraham, and he takes us through people like Tamar and Boaz and Ruth and Jesse and King David and Solomon and Zerubbabel, all the way down to Joseph and Mary to Jesus. Matthew leaves out all the familiar parts from Luke Though we do get that one fear not thrown into Matthew's gospel, but the fear not is to Joseph. And he is told that Mary will bear a son, and they are to name him Jesus, the one who will save us. Matthew goes on with more detail about the Magi and following a star and the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh on that epiphany event. Now, we like to mix all of that up as one big event, but that's just not how the story goes. Then there's the Gospel of Mark, which is the first gospel written, and he doesn't even make mention of the birth of Jesus. He opens his telling of the story of Jesus as a grown... He begins that story with Jesus as a grown man being baptized by his cousin John, the baptizer. So for all the hoopla that we make out of the Christmas story, to the gospel writers, the birth narrative of Jesus wasn't all that crucial. It's odd, really. I love to hear the stories about my own birth. Russ has a great story about his birth. 
Almost a quarter of a century later, I remember in great detail the births of our sons. And I love to relive that story, those stories and retell those stories. The birth of Jesus just doesn't get a lot of airtime beyond about 20 verses in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And then there's John, the Gospel writer John. The gospel that always tells the tale in more poetic versus prose kind of way. He's not narrative, he's theological. He tells the story in a, more, in a deeper, more layered way. It's not obvious to the reader that's more of a skimmer for just the facts, ma'am, kind of reader. But John has his own version of the gospel story. And until I was uh, read a commentary that called this first chapter of John's gospel his telling of the Christmas story, I don't think I had really realized it for myself. So I'm going to read to you John's version, and I want to see if you can hear in John's version the birth of Jesus. This is how John tells the Christmas story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of humanity, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You've heard the ancient story. Let us listen now for the word of the Lord. So John's birth narrative begins at the beginning, the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Did you catch in the reading that there is a star 
of sorts in John's telling? I think he threw it in for good measure. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And then John births Jesus with these words. And the word became flesh and lived among us, full of grace and truth. No manger, no shepherds, just a theological understanding. The word became flesh and lived among us. And there are gifts included in John's telling too. Only the gifts are not given like gold and frankincense and myrrh, but these gifts are received. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Another way to phrase this might be, from his fullness, we have all received gift upon gift. Better than any gold frankincense or myrrh and that's the phrase of John's Christmas story that caught me this week we have all received grace upon grace and apparently when we consider this in the context of faith and discipleship and spirituality it is from the fullness of Jesus the Christ that we receive these gifts Gifts that far surpass any magi gifts that hold monetary or material value. Grace upon grace is what we all need right now. What else is there that matters other than grace upon grace? And how do we, the church, come to understand what the fullness of Jesus Christ is. Well, we are the body of Christ. Every time we act like Him, every time we think like Him, every time we talk like Him, every time we listen like Him, we are sharing in the fullness of Jesus the Christ. And Scripture reminds us that even nature cries out to the glory of God. Grace upon grace, gift upon gift, that's what we need most in this new year. Now this is so easy to talk about in abstract terms, but I was determined to give you more today, more than abstract, more than theological understandings, more than reciting an ancient story. What we need is concrete examples of what it means to receive grace upon grace. Until we recognize grace upon grace and name it when it happens, how can we possibly understand how to offer it? And that is what this life is really all about, both receiving that gift upon gift and then learning how to offer it out of our own abundance. It is such delight to watch children transition from Christmas gift receiving to Christmas gift giving. They learn early that Christmas is all about what you get. We teach them how to get excited and anticipate what they're going to get. Make your list, check it twice, hand it to me and just wait. 
We teach them how to receive these gifts and give thanks for what they get. But somewhere along the way, if you're paying attention and you're watching closely, you watch them transition and learn that the joy of giving a gift far surpasses the fun of receiving the gift. It's the same thing with this grace about which John speaks. So let's get out of the abstract and plunge into some concrete examples of receiving grace upon grace. I solicited the help of colleagues across the country. I had my list, you'll probably recognize some of mine in this list, but I was curious how other preachers would answer, what does it mean, grace upon grace? They came through with other layers that I had not even considered. I'm so glad I asked them. So what I'm about to offer to you is what grace upon grace looks like and acts like and sounds like. And here's where this new way of doing worship is a bonus. There is almost no bonus to this, friends. Almost none. But here's one bonus. You can help write this sermon in real time. All of you out there, all 85 devices watching, multiply that often by more than one person, you get to help write this sermon in real time. Perhaps something that I say will spark an idea in you of when you have received grace upon grace or how you would define what it looks like and sounds like and feels like to receive grace upon grace. I'll look forward to reading through your comments. I will go back and add it to the manuscript of my sermon that's kept on file in my computer, and I will footnote it that you helped me write the sermon. If you have an example, put it in the comments. Between all of us, we might have a sermon that really makes a difference. Some of these are my own, others sent to me by friends, helping a friend write a sermon which is in and of itself grace upon grace. I give you this gift today, real life, lived examples of what it means to receive grace upon grace. It's you laughing at me with such kindness that I can begin to laugh at myself too. It's the patience in your eyes that says, tell me all about it. I have all the time in the world to listen. It's friendships that pick right up after a long absence and you don't miss a beat as if you've never been apart. Grace upon grace, it's a wedding vow of a second marriage that begins something like, you don't often get second chances especially with the big things in life. But you have offered me a second chance at love and a commitment to love. It's listening to a story you've heard before, maybe more than once, because the teller needs to tell it again. And then you don't have to say 
You've already told me that. Grace upon grace. It's the joy in the face of your children when they are mesmerized by something like fireworks or the lights on the tree or when they hit that home run or get that first college acceptance or when they're licked in the face by their dog or when they jump in a puddle of mud and they see their delight reflected in your own face or when they stand before God and everybody and commit their life to another and they cry through their own vows. All of those joys are contagious gifts upon gifts, grace upon grace. It's letting someone with less skill and experience than you perform a task because they need to learn how to do it, whether it be to bake a cake or preach a sermon or drive the car. It's taking enough deep breaths to get to the creativity deep within that helps you find a compromised position instead of just giving in because it's easier. It looks like friends showing up for your father's and granddaughter's funeral holding you up when you cannot do it for yourself. It's having a partner who thinks of your comfort, your pleasure, your fulfillment, your enjoyment before their own so that you can learn to put theirs first without depleting or losing yourself because someone else is offering that gift back to you. It's card after card, meal after meal, text after text, prayer after prayer, meme after meme, it's one person sending a funny meme every single day for almost three months when all you asked for was funny memes. Grace upon grace. Gift upon gift. It's people that really get you. I mean, really understand you and trust you enough to let you really be yourself, even when yourself is not all shiny and new, but sometimes yourself is tattered and broken and sad and scared. Grace upon grace upon grace. It's breathtaking moments alone when you're in the shower or watching falling autumn leaves or watching a family of foxes playing in a drain pipe or watching the sun rise over the ocean or set behind a mountain peak or experience the soft and profound silence as snow falls on evergreens because if you're quiet enough, you can hear snow falling on evergreens. Nature even understands what the sound of grace upon grace sounds like and looks like. It's not keeping tabs about who called whom last. You just call even when it's not your turn. It's a stole made out of the prayers of your people. Grace upon grace, upon grace. It's an angel made out of a cardboard shirt box 
that sits atop your Christmas tree because it was the best you could do 34 years ago when you didn't have much money. And though you could replace it with an expensive one now, you wouldn't dare do it because that cardboard shirt box angel means everything because it's full of the memories of a shared life of grace upon grace. It's opportunities for quality education and recognizing that it is a privilege that should be used for you to do your small part to make the world a better place. It's your now grown children listening to you sob when you receive a positive COVID test. And I mean sob. And they respond with, Mom, I'm so sorry. And they receive your tears as you received theirs for all those years. It's when a child returns the favor of being raised right by being the caregiver for the aging parent. It's when your sorrow is my sorrow and your joy is my joy. Grace upon grace, gift upon gift. I hope that I will never read from the Gospel of John again that phrase, and I hope you will never read it the same. I hope it will bring on different meaning for you every time you hear from His fullness. We have received grace upon grace. I can attest to the profound power of this kind of grace. And if I can be honest, it makes me feel guilty. For every time I receive that kind of grace upon grace, I'm reminded I've not done enough, I've not called enough, I've not said enough, I've not shown up enough to deserve to be the recipient of this kind of grace upon grace. But that's the beauty of grace. It is undeserved favor. That's the most precious, precious gift ever. A gift that just keeps on giving. So may we truly become the body of Christ as we receive and give grace upon grace upon grace upon grace never ending. And in so doing, we will change the world to be more like God. May it be so. Amen.